Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. By the way, for a more interactive experience, listen to this podcast on an app called Entail. E-N-T-A-L-E. Hello, I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine. But I find that I have a headache every day at the moment, just a small headache, which I don't take anything for. And then it's it's fun to wonder why it's there. Is it... Uh, is, it, is it the back combing? Is it um, a brain tumour? Is it dehydration, four cups of coffee, no water? It's all the ideas. Uh, is it that it's bursting with <laughs> ideas and genius? Is it that I'm still addicted to my Vicks inhaler oh my from God, my yes. long, long Christmas cold? Who knows? Em, how are you? Uh, well, Annabelle, thanks. Hi. I'm absolutely fine, but I realised that I have a shoe problem which is that I can put together a fairly decent outfit and I fail every time to, it's basically a shoe apocalypse. And I, it's too wet for trainers. Can you wear trainers all the time? Yes, you can. At what point do trainers become unprofessional? How fucked up do they have to be to become uh, weekend, weekend shoes, trainers? Exactly. Not, 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 not work trainers? I can't care. I want to wear my really fabulous sparkly shoes, but I can't wear them because it's going to rain later so therefore do I carry two pairs of shoes the no I'm not shoulder, that person yeah. so now I'm just wearing clown shoes <laughs> so they're quite dirty go. clown shoes as well and 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 I clean them for you Annabelle did you anyway so there you go I think it's my Achilles heel Ba-bum. anyway um we are delighted to welcome today's guest Sophie Hayward she is a journalist and a columnist with a memoir coming out this year called The Hungover Games <laughs> As a writer, she often goes to places that others won't. She talks about what it feels what it feels to be a solo parent, what it feels like to exist outside the nuclear narrative, and what it feels like to get older, and generally what life feels like. She's honest, brave, and brilliant, but is she absolutely fine? Let's find out. Hello. <laughs> I am absolutely fine, except I woke up with such a sort of thick dream still in my mind this morning, and I dreamt that I had been... Really discreetly, I thought, trying to get off with Keira Knightley's husband. <laughs> it wasn't James Wrighton who is her actual husband. It was just a sort of other man who was somehow married to Kira. And I was doing it kind of really slyly while she was there. She wasn't really noticing. And then she turned to me and said, who are you pretending to be, Sophie? And I thought, oh, she thinks I'm a really good actress like her. And I was really <laughs> chuffed. And then it dawned on me a bit later on, no, she thinks I'm trying to get off with her husband. And also, that's, potenti- that's potentially quite insulting. Especially, <laughs> who do you think you are? You'd have the right to say that to yes. me if I was stood there trying to get off with your Do husband. Do you think but it's your subconscious saying, who are you pretending to be? Have you got big plans that this year, apart from obviously the memoir? I have. I've got a book coming out. Yay! And I suppose... I quite often interview actresses and sometimes I think, you know, I haven't interviewed Kira Knightley, but I do do people like her for magazines and newspapers and I sometimes think, am I one of those shadow artists who writes about the thing they want to be? You know, did I really want to be the actress? Am I sort of trying to be the person I'm Single really white like femaling it around yeah, the place. Yes, single white <laughs> it around it's poor Gary Knightley. Um, I read your Greta Gerwig interview. Yes. Where, she's she's interesting because yeah. she's an actress turned director and now she's writing the play, the, totally, know, the films totally, and making them. And totally heard Greta Thunberg then. <laughs> yes. I, I, there's only one Greta in my life. And I, I, was like, you know, I thought, ooh. There's two big young female Gretas at the moment. That's so interesting. I wonder how many more Gretas there'll be. A lot. Yeah, there'll be a baby, Greta surge no, yeah. boom. Lots of eco babies. Yeah. No more sort of Snoop Dogs and Gandalfs, but lots of Gretas. Um, <laughs> All in their eco nappies. Do you still drink? 
I do, but actually I'm on a bit of a health kick at the, the moment. So that's why I really one of the reasons I really enjoy The Hungover Games, the title of your book, because most of those books are written by people who have who have given up alcohol and uh, oh, are no, having, the, having a sobriety revelation. Oh no, it's not one of those sobriety books. I'm still pissed at the end of it. But what's it about <laughs> the hungover games? <laughs> it's about what happens when you sort of get to your mid thirties and there's that, you know, age that you've been told by ominous people, ooh, if you want to start start thinking about having a baby. And lots of women don't want to think about having a baby, and that's great. But I whilst living a very unfamilyish life from the minute I left home at 18, I was sort of always going to parties and always very giddy and excited and sort of stumbling home at four in the morning and doing quite sort of, I guess, studentish things. But by the age of 34, that hadn't changed at all. I mean, I'm still a bit like that now, 10 years later. But um, I had moved to LA to be a kind of Hollywood correspondent. I mean, I was doing it freelance, so I didn't have some amazing fixed job, but I was getting interviews with celebrities for British newspapers and having this lovely time at parties and found myself unexpectedly pregnant by someone I did know, but I was absolutely not sort of settling down, building a house, building a marriage. Had never even really been in that kind of relationship. Do you remember how you felt the moment you saw the positive pregnancy test, the unexpectedly positive pregnancy test? Yes, I do. I thought because it was about, it was really late at night. I did it. I'd stayed in on a Saturday night, which already suggested something was very, very wrong. (laughs) And I'd stayed in so late, and and I'd had this, you know, pee on a stick test from the drugstore because in America. And were you thinking, oh, I'm just late? Yeah, I was. I was, but I also kind of, something in me, there was a strong voice saying, you know, something's up. Something's up. There were symptoms. And I remember waiting till about two in the morning to do this test. And I remember what my first thought was. My first thought was, there's no way I'll sleep tonight. (laughs) And I went, I made a phone call, because in England it was, what, 10 o'clock Sunday morning, which was, you know, a more reasonable time to ring someone. I phoned someone in London and then I lay on my bed and I fell fast asleep and had a really good night. Did you? <laughs> Just yeah. like that, like almost exhausted by the by. Well, the I was pregnant. Kind of, well, I was quite true. pregnant. But, no, but pregnant bodies overrule yeah, everything. everything. You become emotionally you become a second you class citizen animal. in your own body. Yeah, they you do. do. They steal your teeth. Over. They steal your hair if they can. Yeah. They, you know, they steal your insomnia happily sometimes, and yes. they return it viciously later. <laughs> but pregnant bodies betray your real personality. It's the beginning of becoming. You're, as I say, a second-class citizen in your own life. Yeah. It's interesting. Really interesting. Physically, I actually found pregnancy really... I think I was one of the lucky ones. I, I, I was quite interested in all the changes. Yeah. Mm, me too. It's got quite a compelling narrative, hasn't it? Yeah. Particularly if you're by yourself, which yes. I was as well. Yeah, right. So we're both single... Well, solo parents. Both in the solo parents, parenting boat. Describe it. I think it's interesting, actually, that you use the word single parent. And I wanted to... As opposed to single yeah, mother. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, I feel that that, that is deliberate, right? Because obviously you words, but... If I someone feel... called me a single mother, I'd go with it. I've probably said it myself. I do tend to say single parent because... Oh, I mean, it's hard because then you get sort of trapped in, are you the one perpetuating gender stereotypes? But, you know, if there was a job to be of a single... Of a, if there was like a mother's work to do and a father's work to do, then I feel i do both. both. Yeah. So I feel it's inaccurate to say... Because single Just one mother sort of suggests you're doing half, doesn't it? I always use the word solo because I always think single mother has that old-fashioned whiff of, of He's tragedy got one on a about day on a it. Saturday night. I, yeah, single mother. Either it's a failed relationship or it's some sort of mistake. Yes, it's got oh, some narrative. Yeah. Whereas a, where solo I like because it implies a solo voyage, which yes. is what it is. This but big... I think your situation was more intentional, wasn't it? I think Mine solo was parent yep. 
does sound a bit more planned. I mean, maybe I should get on that and try and sound more planned. But no, you do you. My life has been quite yeah. chaotic, so definitely wasn't planned. But um, so you woke up refreshed, yet still pregnant. <laughs> and, um, and and did you did you immediately contact the father and say we have a predicament? Well, you have to read my book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a funny old time. I think I spent a couple of days on my own. It was also it was the first time in my life that I'd lived in a you know a flat by myself, not had you know flatmates. So I was I had a bit of time on my own, thinking, God. <laughs> yeah, I did my pregnancy test at four in the morning. Oh, did you? Maybe it's a thing. Yeah, I did it for because I, I woke. I just woke up. It was summer. But you had one of those kits, or. Yes, I had one in the cupboard because I was because I'd been because You've I was trying. actively trying to yeah. get pregnant yeah, so um, with a friend. You know, th- with a friend, um, I was waiting for the day when I could do the test. Yeah, and I and I put it, I could conceivably <laughs> have done it a couple of days previously, but I'd waited till this Saturday. It was Did four you? in the morning. Did you and wait? It was just getting light. Yeah. Anyone who knows Annabelle knows that she is the most impatient person. So that wow. is like heroic. Because yeah. it really mattered to you. It, it really, really mattered. mattered, and also. I felt very different this particular month. That's the thing. I think sometimes your body. I've got really, really big boobs. And for the first time in my life, in the office, the previous day, I had had to take my bra off. Right. Because it was so painful. It was just so sore and tight. (laughs) And so I walked around braless for the only afternoon of my adult life. Now (laughs) that had to mean something. I don't even take my bra off when I go home after work. I sleep in a bra. You know, I am constantly harnessed. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, they just end up all over the place. Yeah. Um, but And then there was a really odd, so I did it at 4, 4.30 in the morning, and then there was an odd four hours before I could sort of... Did you just lie there? On the, it was the Sunday morning. I, I, I paced, yeah. <laughs> looking out the window, listening to the birds and thinking... But it was what you wanted, or did you have that moment of thinking, well, I thought I wanted this? Did you have no. a Morgan Freeman-type kind of... What, God? Montage. Montage going, <laughs> and then she paced over to the side. That's not my best Morgan Freeman voice, but I'm not going to do it, because I think you know even Morgan would be upset. <laughs> I, well, I cried, because when dreams start to give you a hint that they're going to come true... <clears throat> it, you have you, there's the bliss of that, but there's also the horror of that. It's a very strange. It was a very strange feeling, and also it was the time when only I would know, because um, and that's quite precious because you can keep that for a few days. My child's you? father was in America. Yeah, so I had to wait until midday to At call least. him and tell him yeah. what was going on. Yeah, wow. Anyway, okay, so you two days. Two days later, you're still in LA, you're still pregnant. Yes. And you decide, okay, I'm going to do this. Yes. Did you know? I did it. I did did it. it. So my daughter is now eight years old and we live back in London, where I had lived previously. I'm from Yorkshire, so I'm not from from London, but it was very much my kind of adult life had been spent here until my two years in LA. How pregnant were you when you came back to London? Six months. So I did sort of roughly the first two trimesters there. And it was all up in the air, but finally I had to... I didn't have proper health insurance, and mm. my mum was in England. I was about stuff. to say, you need a support system, yeah. don't you, if you're going to... And do you know what my, my birth would have cost? So I was being very hippie-ish. Oh, I'm going to give birth in the bath. I'm not going to need any help. You know, I'm going to do it totally naturally. Hear me roar, wolf woman. And of course, I ended up having every bit of intervention you can have and then a cesarean um so about two days of drugs and then surgery me too and yeah and i thought i I thought look at these hips 
Exactly, but I've got childbearing Look pains. <laughs> I thought it's going to be like the mini of life, you know, when she stands at the sink doing the washing up and the baby falls out. Yeah. Can I tell you, it is... And the then my body betrayed me in every conceivable way. And two days big, later, there I was an emergency C-section. I think it's the biggest shock, actually, I don't, that when it doesn't... It's the same with breastfeeding or all of that stuff. And yeah. I know that we don't normally talk about um, kids on the podcast, but it's that massive... I think it's a huge shock that it takes quite a lot of time to get over about how actually hard it is to fucking... You don't birth. just shove them on your boob. It no, doesn't just work. And you don't just squat and, and it comes out. No. It's it's like it's a painful, brutal, kind of unnerving, medically, you know, whatever process. Sorry, anyone pregnant listening to this, it's, it's going to be great. It's a massive shock. It is also, as somebody had said to me, a friend had kept saying throughout my pregnancy, just one day of your life. And when I came back with the baby, I said to her, well, actually, it was two. <laughs> <laughs> Furious. But I, yes, I uh, can't remember what I was saying. But no, I, you came I had that birth in LA. I mean, I did live near a very posh hospital. I lived near... Cedars Sinai, but even if I'd gone to a slightly cheaper hospital, um, I think what I had on the NHS effectively for free would have cost one hundred and thirty thousand pounds. Wow! And every time the labour had gone a bit more wrong and got a bit more complicated, would you have would have known that the bill was mounting. Yeah. So when I was in labour in Homerton Hospital in Hackney, East London, and I'd been saying I'm going to do this without an epidural, I'm going to do it, and then you just reach this point, you go, Jesus Christ, give me an epidural. Had I had to make that decision, I mean, that decision was made under such stress and duress and, you know, you can't imagine it. Had I also been thinking, that's another two grand to get the anaesthetist So stressful. In, but he might do me a discount if I literally pay him $1,500 in cash right now from my handbag. Which is exactly the moment when you think. what happens also in Cedars-Sinai. Um, imagine thinking that whilst you're literally pushing a baby out of your no. Terrifying. Yeah. I found the weirdest bit about solo or single motherhood was the pregnancy. Being, I have said this, being single, a single pregnant is worse than being a single mother. Being a single pregnant is weird. Because they don't know where to put you and they say stuff to you and you just stand there and smiling. You don't really know where to put yourself because it's still an idea. You're not holding the reality of your child in your arms. You can't, unless it's your second one for some reason, but you you don't know how to, to. describe yourself because you're not even a mum. Yeah, exactly. And it's constantly, where's your husband? Every test, you know, uh, every time you go for a scan, it's Is couples. Is not gonna come? Yeah. yeah. I went to an antenatal group in Hackney and somehow we're all still friends, but it was 10 couples, or rather nine couples and me, and one of, the, one of my worst memories of this whole journey is that every week she'd say things like, right, so I'm going to teach you this thing. So, um, And it was all quite heteronormative. It was all straight couples. She said, guys, I'm going to teach this thing for when your wife's in a you know, certain stage of labour, there's this back crop, this lower back crop. It really, really helps. Um, Sophie, I'll be your partner. Oh, my God, Sophie, I'll Every be your partner. Every week, a... and that line, I sort of get PTSD from hearing. I bet you do. Sophie, I'll be your the partner. Also, has... also, the worst thing is is that in labour, she was not going to be there, so what no. the fuck was the point of getting this <laughs> stupid back so, It should have been, Sophie, you'll have to manage alone. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, is, that was going to be the narrative of the next five years of your life. Yeah. Sophie, here's yeah. some colouring. <laughs> you could get on with that while we you do the other thing. You could Yes, exactly. <laughs> was anyone with you when you gave birth? Yes, I had uh, a very dear best friend and I had a, a doula who was a friend of a friend, but I'd paid her, not very much, she was very, very reasonable, but I'd paid her a bit of money to come and help, mm. which I'm glad of. 
because there, there was a time during my labour when I thought when I thought for various reasons right I, I really am as alone as I thought I was more alone yeah. and I sort yeah. of went inside myself and there was a time when I didn't speak for a couple of hours because it was going wrong and I was very frightened and there was no one to share that fear with and no one to say it's going to be fine but did you have all the medics and people around I had a lot of doctors around yeah. and they were uh, and and the midwives were, were very very good but um but I I, I went inside myself because mm. that was all I had mm. Mm. Oh. but you do find a whole world inside yourself yep don't you? it was fine it's like a cave when you're giving birth yeah and because uh, I thought it was interesting that you had phrased it as living outside the nuclear narrative because that really crystallized what I feel yeah which is that families hang out with families well, you can get on as well as you like with the parents at the school gate, and I'm lucky I do. There's really great parents at our school gate, and you know I've been, I, I, I fit into an extent. But if you hear that someone's going on a camping trip together, and these two dads have done that, and they're going in the cars, and this and the kids, you know, I don't even have a car. I yeah. mean, I'm not invited on. No, nor those am I. Things. Someone said to me, I may have told this story before, but someone, a very, very good, very, very old friend of mine, said to me not so long ago. He called me and he said, "We have got loads of people coming to dinner tonight. It's everybody you love. It's everybody who loves you." You must come for coffee. <laughs> so no. Sorry. Do you know? I'm no. Sure. And I was, and I, he was, he he was being as inclusive as he felt he could be under the circumstances. And I what, thought you're going to mess up the seating plan because you're not my mother dog. said to me when I was, you know, ten or something, single women fuck up numbers, and I thought, it's no, 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 it's a modern world. It's but it's so. What's um, I don't know if we've said this before, but what was interesting is that when we when we wrote this in the book that um, that we I'm absolutely fine. The what the one of the only marks that came back was from a from the sub editor who was like, "Sorry, this can't be right." <laughs> and we were like, this, this, is, yes. "This is too yeah, yeah, cruel." Yeah. Like, yeah. and we were like, "No, no, this actually happened," and yeah. whatever. But it was like that. The I, she aged what twenty five was like, "No, no, this is just an impossible thing." But that's a whole. That's and I was never. I was in no way cross. I, I wasn't even upset. I was right. I would. I thought, what what should I do till eleven? I mean, obviously, yeah. I didn't go because yeah. obviously, I go to bed at nine thirty. Yeah. But you know, that, that was sort of became <laughs> emblematic of the situation. But what yeah, was yeah, really yeah, interesting, yeah. what you said to me. I mean, obviously, you and I are incredibly close, and I always think of myself as available to you if you needed me for things, for those things. But you said to me, "Can I come over?" I can't remember. It was on Sunday, and I said, "Oh no, we're just—it's the last day before school. We're just hunkering down." And you said to me, "This is what," and you said it to me without any, you know, accusation, whatever. But this is what families, as in, do. do. Yeah. They either you know hang out with other families or they say we're hanging out as a family and they pull up the drawbridge and they pull up the and drawbridge they go into lockdown and I felt yeah. mortified that I was part of the but that I had totally unconsciously and like, yeah. you, like I said I know that you know that if you phoned me up and said I need you to do this I would do it for you but I was still part of that problem or I'm part of that holidays, holidays are difficult Holid and also weekends because I think what happens in weekends especially in London where you've maybe got people working really long hours uh, or commuting outside of London to get home you know you've maybe got one of the parents hasn't seen the kids much that week and weekends is the time to really see the kids I find I can get through the week as a single parent it's the weekends when we're crying out for like other kids to play with and other people and a lot of the time you know they maybe haven't maybe the dad does Saturday morning because he's not around for many of the bedtimes during the week or something what about dating ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much a subject. Let's the, talk about well, that. the thing is, is that I know that I can schedule things in for every other weekend when my child is with his father. Yeah. So I have, you know, windows of time when things yeah. are possible. Yeah. What do you do? I book babysitters, get people to help, 
go on dates. What I find actually, I mean, scheduling and babysitting is a constant issue, but my big issue with dating is that if you do it on an app, so the person is probably a total stranger rather than someone you might meet through a friend at sort of their birthday drinks or a work thing or something. Um, if they're a total stranger on an app, which I'm not very good at, when do you mention it? You know, if you're having a little chat, flirtatious thing, oh, that photo of you, you know, because mostly on apps, what you find is 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 that that I, when I've looked, is that men say two children who are don't my world, live, yeah, who are my world, but don't live with me or <laughs> only with me at weekends. They always say things, yeah. I think it's very easy for a separated dad to say, I've got kids, and they'll always put a couple of photos of them with the kids on which the I think is app. weird. It's like you're swiping right on weird. the child. I mean, I'm not some of these people who's got, you know, my Instagram and stuff totally on lockdown. I am reasonably public, but I absolutely don't want any pictures of my kid in a dating app. That feels really sleazy to me. Don't even put on the thing that I've got kids. Maybe that's my own psychological issue to deal with. I don't put on the thing that I haven't. All right, it did once say that I have got kids, but a friend told me that. <laughs> and to stop. Took that section down. Just because you think, what if they're looking for a vulnerable single you, mother with a do. child? Well, you yeah, do. Terrifying. The whole thing feels creepy enough as it is. I don't want any mention of her on there. And so at what point in the little chat when you've paired with someone, you know, and you're maybe organising to her for a drink, at what point do you, do you say, say, by the way, I've got a kid, but I'm not looking for a dad for her, but but maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it could I be just you. think because she lives with me all the time, I can't say, oh, I've got a daughter, she's here at weekends. Yeah. It's a bit like, you're going to hide her in the, the cupboard. And I do genuinely, genuinely think it puts people off. But, you know, a lot of this speaks of my own, you know, my own insecurities, doesn't it? The other it? thing that's odd is as you think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a single mother and that's fine. And then you realise that whilst you're being a single or solo mother, you are also getting older. Yeah. So yeah. I look at pictures of myself with my five-year-old as a baby and my face is very different from the face that I see now in the mirror. Yeah. And you've written quite compellingly about that. Yeah. The um, the idea that the, the sort of loss of beauty, because you only realise when you're you know, older that, that youth is beauty in a way. Totally. Until and you readjust your thinking, which yeah. you need to do. And while, rather than having, as I think we were discussing earlier before we started recording, rather than having the occasional really off day, yeah. It flips and you have the occasional really, really on day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, twice a year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really, you wrote a brilliant piece about it, about sort of saying goodbye to, a, well, a kind of new, a new vision, as it were, of yourself. But the the idea that you, when you look in the mirror, when you know you're having a good day and it isn't enough, basically, that yeah. you, that it's just a, it used to, you used to be able to go, oh, okay, like a little zhuzh and yeah. think, yeah. hey, I'm on. And now it's like, but I'm, also yeah. even, even when you look in the mirror as you leave the house in the morning, you think, okay, everything's kind of working. You can catch sight of yourself two hours later and my God, has it gone to shit. Oh. In the window of H&M, you're like, oh, I'll just have a what the fuck? What the, fu what also, the fuck? Also, just even, I, I've noticed that reflections have become my enemy. Yeah. Like, um, so I was looking something up on the phone and for some reason, the you light was yourself. such, I saw myself in the back of the thing and I'm, of course I've got my, the, you know, my chin is down. Shop because window I've got, I've reflections, got, you just, just see your mother. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a fright. And yeah. you think, fuck, who's looking, you know, it's just, oh. One of the things that I find that I have started to do is I very rarely look at my whole face in a mirror at the same time. <laughs> So you do a sort of, like you're doing a clever selfie, you do a kind of sun. I, no, no, I, I just, when I put my makeup on, oh, I just do. use a compact. So I only see, I see one eye at a time, one cheek at a time. And I'm sure, I'm sure that when I, when I put everything, I'm sure I'm properly lopsided and look a terrible sight. But that's really all I can handle. Keeps yeah. things simple, feature by feature. But it is funny when you look, when I finished, 
I've sort of had my not my had my head down for a couple of years. I've been going out and stuff, but I've been writing this book, and when I finally finished it, you know, and finished all the edits, really finished it. Not so long ago, I looked in the mirror and thought, oh, I haven't just got like two grey hairs that no one's noticed. Like it's really, oh, that's a thing. And I know I'm in my forties, and I know that people go grey, and. It's a complete shock. People it's don't complete... go grey, though. You don't well, they have don't a load of people around you going grey no. because they're all dyeing their hair. Yeah. Well, next week, that. actually, we've got Josh Wood coming on, the, the, the very colorist. famous colourist. Oh, and I'm going to ask <laughs> him how to go grey. I'm yeah. currently I'm doing trying this. I'm not to care about it, but it's hard not to care when you look... Well, I think it's hard not to care when you feel so fucking tired to then have that reflected actually on your face back to you. Yeah, it's rude. It, basically, it's I know, but it's actually also extremely depressing when you have a miraculous day when you don't feel tired. Yes, Look in the mirror and you still look tired. (laughs) I agree. I'm doing this three-month training program at a gym where they weigh and measure you at the start and they weigh and measure you at the end. Not in between at all. Oh, yeah, no, also every 21 days. So there's kind (laughs) of Also every 21 minutes. (laughs) Every 21 minutes. And what I didn't know when I signed up for this, I knew they'd weigh and measure me, so I thought they'll go around my waist with a tape measure. They'll put me on the scales. You know, nobody's exactly loving that thought, but here's what I'm doing as part of the thing see if I can get strong see if I can get fit you know I told myself the measurements is just this silly thing and really I'm there to get strong because none of us want to admit that we're there to get thin and then what happened is when they went and measure you I had no idea so I'm locked in this kind of little airless room with a man called Josh who was, said are you are you wearing a sports bra I said yes I am he said could you, could you take your top off love so I thought alright Josh <laughs> took the top off thinking well this is exciting I'm going to have you know hands around here it's been a while yeah, exactly. and he did all that but then he got these sort of caliper tongs out a bit, yes. bit like if you're do in you Sainsbury's remember, you and you were going to go and get a bagel yes. from the bakery yes, and then he didn't just do my belly fat with it he Pulled on my chin. Oh my god, I feel so physically he ill. measured he took the measurements of my double chin and That's my a hate cheeks. Crime. That's my also... cheeks and he wrote them down on the list and I got emailed a list of how fat my face is. By the way, <laughs> fucking first, first of all, that's an abomination. Secondly, it's moronic because you need fat on your face. Oh yeah. To look, you know, to look perky. But they want to see if the gym program has been changing you, so they measured my face. They I stood there in my bra thinking this is no longer the sexiest time. <laughs> Do you remember, can you pinch more than an inch? Yep. What totally. was that? Was that, was it, it like brand flakes it, or something? Oh, it was a food, Special yeah, K. Special, special K. K. Oh, special charlatans. K. Yeah, which yeah. is full of sugar, isn't it? Yeah, worse for you than every yeah. other um, thing. But um, yes, I've had those calipers. Back fat, oh, yeah, arm I fat. The back they did the back bit. How's yeah. it going? It's going really well. It turns out, and this is a shock to me because I really have lived this quite chaotic slovenly life um i really like weightlifting ah so i am i've been told to call it weight training apparently i'm not a weightlifter i've got to stop acting like i'm giant this is my only thing i want to do is get strong this year that's exactly and i genuinely just want to get strong because i i feel like yeah you need we need to be strong for but you do i do these hour-long sessions with a trainer in this gym and the first sort of 30 minutes or so you're a bit like oh this is hard why did i sign up for this and i get this breakthrough at about minute 35 where suddenly i'm like Oh, and I guess it's an endorphin rush. How long chemical. have you been doing it for? Mm, about eight weeks. You know the fitter you get, the faster the endorphins kick in. Really? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it'd be minute 10 by the end of it. And you get this rush and it's sort of like a druggy euphoria that you 
that is only good for you. So Maybe I've become been... weirdly evangelical about, about lifting well, the weight. Well, the trouble is, is it's hard to find a downside. So you do end up being evangelical because it yeah. can only do good things but for But what's going to happen because I'm paying lots of money to do this three-month thing and I can't afford to, afford do, to it do it forever. forever. Cause it's, it's, it's one-on-one with the trainer. I can't do that to... forever. So what's going to happen when I just stop and go back to... <laughs> Pile of find it again. On, online. Yeah, have yeah. To do the video. we did an online stretch in the office the other day. It was brilliant. <laughs> it's just what we needed. But um, do you think that maybe you like the strong thing? And I think this is is that you've had to be so strong internally. Can I tell you something else? I I'm st- I'm starting to try and get strong again as well. Yeah. I was very fit before I got pregnant, and I and I was also quite bulletproof. And I found that since I've had a child on my own, um, I've been almost permanently injured, just a bit. Really, a twisted yeah. ankle, yeah. a slip disc. Um, a frozen shoulder and I think it's to do with the relentlessness you get yourself so tired and then the panic and you have to keep going and you're lifting you're lifting the child you're lifting all the things in the house because there's only you you. so you you, there comes a point you know I'm 45 when you you have to make sure that your body's up to the job well I was about to say because the panic when you get injured is terrifying, isn't it? Because you're like, okay, if I can't you fucking walk, who body, is going to walk? Yeah, exactly. Who is going to do it? There's one thing as a single parent. We've said that weekends and holidays are tough, but also illness. You cannot be ill. You can have something like a sore throat, but your terror that the sore throat is an oncoming flu. And that obviously if you've got flu, your kid's going to have flu and you're going to have to look after them. When and you, it's the school when holidays. you can't get out of bed... You you cannot be. I mean, I literally have to sort of make concoctions out of ginger. You cannot be ill as a single parent. It, no. It's illegal. No, because all but yeah, illegal. But also, you've got to work too. So you've got to work as well. As a single um, parent, the main message I would give to anyone who was thinking about it is: a, it's fantastic. B, you have to be unbelievably grown up. You have to be more yeah, grown up you than you ever thought you would together. have to be. You have to be measured. You have to take responsibility. You have to look after yourself. You have to look after your money. You have to look after your yeah. kid. You have to be incredibly mature. There's just no room for fuckery, really. No. Even if you go mad, you have to, which I certainly have done at points over the last five years, you have to do it privately, manageably, and quietly. Yeah. Or write a book about how. And write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. But um, no, the, the, just to go back to that funny thing about realizing that that you are as they as they are growing and flourishing, you're aging, and and then you think, does that mean that my chances of a little nibble at the other dream, yeah, are diminishing? That's very. And then real. you have to manage those very feelings. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, I always thought, you know, okay, I've had my first child. Um, in a less to me it felt like a less than ideal circumstance it wasn't planned it was a mess I ended up on my own um and you know you've been told for years the clock's ticking oh my god you know I had it when I was 35 but I still knew that you know there are people giving birth in their 40s I wasn't that old so I thought okay well a few years of this we'll get ourselves sorted out and then I'll find a nice replacement dad and you know give her a brother or sister and I'll get this thing going and be more like the nuclear family that I grew up in which was a largely happy family and um it doesn't happen. Then you get to your 40s, you think, well, there's still a chance, and you get a bit further into your 40s, and you think, I've sort of got to give it up, you know, I've got yeah. to accept that I'm probably not having more children. So A, I failed to give her this. B, I failed to give her that. Of course, I've got to stop saying it's failure. It's not, we have our health, we're lucky, we live in a house, you know, my God, we have enough blessings to count. But I think what you just said is really interesting. There is a little bit of your own dream slipping away. Because you sort of think, so. you'll get away with it. You know yeah. it's a little bit yeah. other, but you're going to pull something off. Yeah. And actually, what, we, this what, one we, need, what under we need the to reconnect net. with is we absolutely fucking have. Yeah, we it have just, pulled it off. It, it's not the Cinderella dream. 
Exactly. It's a different dream. And now, every time I see little girls being sold that rescuing princess Disney thing, it makes me cross. My daughter, the other day, we were watching something like that that had something where... I can't remember the prince or the man had to come and ask, you know, the woman to marry him. And my daughter, who's eight, I'm not saying this is a sign that I've raised her well, but it did make me laugh. She said something like, oh, mummy, I want that. I want all the men like in that story to come and ask me to marry them. And I went, do you? She went, yeah, just so I can tell them to get lost. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. good. Uh, Yesterday, my 10 year old girl uh, and she, um, there was a, we were at a traffic light and the green man went off and she went with utter disgust in her voice. Why is the green man not a woman? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I was like, score. That's this generation of yeah. kids. She's like disgusted by, yeah. she's like, what message is that? Women can't walk? What, what? Yeah. It just went on and on this tirade. And I was like, hello. Okay, I'm just going to hang up my Mine's like now. that, because every time anyone... She really loves teddy bears. She hasn't sort of grown out of it. So any birthday, any aunt or, you know, cousin or anyone will sort of give her a new teddy and she loves it and that's what she into. But if they give her, like, you know, a teddy raccoon or a teddy bear or a teddy seal, there's just this assumption, oh, he, you know, there he is. And every time she gets a new animal, it's a she. And she's so confused because we've all had this he is neutral. Oh, the teddy bear's not particularly male, but it's a he. Or that spider, oh, what's he doing climbing up the wall? She will always say, what's she doing climbing up the wall? And she doesn't understand male is neutral, which is a massive winner. Are you nervous about the coming out? really (laughs) nervous. Really nervous. Tell me all your deepest fears. I'd be nervous if I'd, you know, written a sort of murder mystery novel about, you know, made up people in the 19th century. But I've written about me and my baby, which is really, really hard. And also there's other, you know, there are references to other people in our lives. You can't just write a book about you two. So... Has it constantly been echoing in your ears and your brain how she will feel as a grown-up to read your book? I I mean, she's eight now. I, I could probably have finished writing this book about four years ago because it doesn't cover her whole life until the present day. Um, I was so worried that I think I've dragged out the process of doing it. Well, you could call it dragging out. You could call it being careful and considerate. Well, it's that funny thing, that self-monitoring thing that we all feel when we're at our most neurotic in situations or social situations, you know, where you're, you're almost narrating what you're doing. And then she shot him a winning smile and then she had a panic attack. You know, but if you're writing and wondering what someone else is going to think of your writing at the same time. And also, it's not wondering, oh, you know, will that woman I used to work with think this is good? It's um, the most precious Will my daughter feel I've betrayed her by putting some of our family dirty laundry on the page? So it's a huge question. I have taken solace from something um, that Rachel Cusk said. She said, and she's been very much accused of this, and I think her writing is extraordinarily good. She's, she has two daughters and she said it is my daughter's fate to be the daughters of a writer. Yeah. That's their deal. Yeah. That's what they get. Yeah. And you know what? You'll be making different mistakes from the mistakes yeah. your parents made. Well, so, in itself you know, victory. going from jobbing freelance journalist to, to getting quite a decent book deal um, has slightly changed my daughter's material conditions of life. We can go on a proper holiday. We can pay for this and that. And she totally notices if she can go to, you know, a Greek beach for two weeks in the summer that's a big difference so I will eventually they're kind of ruthless aren't they but, yeah <laughs> definitely but also isn't honesty the biggest thing that we can give our 
children anyway. I don't mean that kind of brutal honesty, but just if, if we tell if, them... Wouldn't you, if you found out there was a whole book of your mum's thoughts from when you were a child and when she was in a relationship with your father or when she was carrying you, wouldn't you be dying to know? Yeah, absolutely. Know, because we if all... I ask my mother anything, yeah. she says, oh, darling, I don't remember. It was a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. And both those yeah. things sting. Yeah. I don't remember and it was such a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would... I found one poem once I think in in our in my house my mum had written I think I was firstly a bit surprised I didn't know of my mum as writing poems but I found one she'd written to show how solipsistic I am I assumed at the time it was about her pregnancy with me looking back now it was clearly her first pregnancy which would have been my older brother but I just assumed it was <laughs> yeah. about me and she was conflicted she was excited about this baby inside her she also realised it was perhaps an end to her freedom and it was beautifully written and I age, I don't know, 12, 14 when I found it, had never had to consider that children had been both a blessing and a curse in my mother's life. I just hadn't really stopped to think, oh, we took something from her. And I'm really glad I read that poem. Mm. And that's just one page. So, yeah. yeah, took something she was happy to give, but nonetheless. Yeah, she definitely wanted children. We were very planned and she wanted us. But... um. You know, it it takes you a long time to realise the sacrifice. I mean, I'm still realising now. I've yeah. been quite ungrateful. I think. Yeah. And my I mother says that all all the all that or the only thing parents want is an apology. <laughs> it's true. Well, I'm it's sorry true. for being born, or I'm sorry it's for being true. such a dick when yeah. I was a teenager, oh, or just a blanket. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> sorry. Use it how you want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just please. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, I can't wait to read your book, Sophie. Me Thank you. Do you know, I so just wrote much. the dedication. I mean, it's it's gone off, but it can, you know, the, the full print run hasn't happened yet. But I just wrote the dedication this morning and I put, I think it says, because it's the last page you write, the first page of the book. I think it says, to my mother and my daughter, thank you for both for raising me. Maybe stop reading here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so oh. good. Oh, I'm not going to be able to stop reading. Sophie, thank you so much. You've been an inspiration. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Always keep a little crazy in your pocket. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.